would like uh, for you this evening to turn back with me and look through the passage we read together in John's Gospel, chapter 21. The more that I've looked at this chapter, the more that I recognize and see uh, its significance and its importance. Fundamental, crucial, foundational are all words that we could use to describe what Jesus is saying to the church and also to individual Christians in this chapter. He didn't waste any words, and uh, particularly uh, as his time was short before his ascension, what he had to say was uh, important and was crucial and wasn't secondary and wasn't something that could be just treated lightly. And uh, I've found that this uh, passage is tremendous for focusing our minds on what is our role as a church and also what is our role in the church as Christians and what is our role as individual Christians before uh, our living God? What does Jesus want us to do? How does he want to live as a church and as individuals? And what is discipleship? There are a lot of big questions there. And obviously, uh, we can only look briefly at some of these uh, answers this evening. But Jesus does say some very significant and important things in this chapter. He speaks about the mission of the church. And he also speaks about the condition for discipleship, some of uh, the characteristics that should mark our life as Christians in our walk with Jesus Christ. But he does speak about the mission of the church because he is speaking to the founders of the church and he's speaking to his disciples and he's reminding them of what their task is to be. Uh, it is a difficult time for them. It, they're in limbo, as it were, uh, be, between the almost... Uh, the Old Testament and the coming of the Spirit in the New Testament. And Jesus is re-emphasizing for them what the work of the church is to be. And in doing this, he uses again uh, means which they find easy to understand, which he has used already with them, and which uh, will trigger their memories. He does it with the disciples and he also does it with Peter. He's a great psychologist. And he triggers their memories to prior events that he has used to teach them about the church and about their mission and about their work. And in this pa passage here, particularly verses 1 to uh, 14, Jesus uses a miracle and he uses dialogue. So he uses visual, uh, a visual illustration, as it were, to, dis to remind them of their mission, but he also uses dialogue. He teaches, and uh, he teaches very simply uh, to Peter. And the two uh, important strands of teaching that he is bringing to the church about our role and about our mission and about our task is that we should be a church who are reaching out, making disciples, and also a church who are keeping disciples. We are outreaching and we are nurturing. We are bringing the gospel to those who are lost, and when those who are lost are saved, then we are seeking to maintain them and grow them and develop them as Christians. And he uses two uh, different illustrations. He uses uh, a miracle uh, through uh, the disciples fishing. So he uses fishing to speak about uh, the task of making disciples, reaching out and fishing for people. And then he uses the picture we looked at this morning, shepherding, when he's speaking to Peter about the church as a picture of uh, keeping disciples, of nurturing them, of maintaining and developing their Christianity. 
So if we could go to the chapter itself and we recognize that in verses 1 to 14, the disciples have gone fishing. The story is that they've moved back to Galilee. Jesus had appeared to them in Jerusalem. He was resurrected and they were excited by that. They'd seen he wasn't dead anymore. They'd be recognized that this was indeed the Messiah. But they were doing what they were doing in command to Jesus. He said, well, go back to Galilee until the time is right. And so they were back in Galilee and no doubt, They were at a bit of a loose end. They didn't know what to do. They were simply waiting for Jesus. And so they went back to their natural trade, which was fishing. I don't think there's any indication particularly that they were being disobedient. I don't think that they were going back to their old uh, trade because they denied their Savior. Uh, It may be the case, but I think they needed to eat while they waited. And uh, it was natural for them to go back to what they were good at. Well, uh, what they were supposed to be good at, but uh, they'd been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. So uh, maybe they'd gone a bit rusty with all the teaching uh, that they'd been engaged in over the last three years. So they had no fish. And then somebody comes and uh, uh, stands on the shore and uh, tells them, it's probably nearly the morning by now, and uh, somebody tells them uh, to cast their nets on the other side. And of course... um, Uh, It must be very annoying for a fisherman uh, so to do. I think I've lost my sound. (laughs) So I'll just stop while someone... Sorry. I've got this habit with technology. I managed to get away with it this morning. Is that okay? Can you hear me now? Okay, you can't sleep anymore. But I did wonder when I was standing down there, I said, what happens when the electricity runs out here? You can't sing and it's amazing. All the PowerPoint goes down. But uh, we believe in miracles. (laughs) So the uh, disciples are fishing, and I'm sure it must have been rather annoying for them, for someone to, uh, uh, on the shore speak to them and say, look, cast your net on the other side. Uh, a kind of smart aleck from the shore who says you're doing it all wrong and these were professional fishermen. Nonetheless, there was something authoritative about this man and so uh, they do exactly what they're asked. And of course, in, in obedience to Christ and to Christ's command, they haul in a great net of fish, 153. And again, uh, over the years, many commentators have made a great deal of the number of fish and have uh, uh, assigned to them uh, many theological and uh, significant uh, facts. But I do think it's just simply a fisherman remembering what he has caught, because fishermen tend to do that, and uh, it's important to them. So they caught not 152, but 153, and they were big, and the nets didn't break. And so they haul the fish in, the net is secure. Now, we might think that's simply Jesus just performing another miracle. But there was much more than that for the disciples and uh, in what Jesus was doing because he is evoking for them a very significant memory. He's reminding them of their calling, that they are being called to be fishers of men. He's reminding them of a similar miracle when they were on the Sea of Galilee and when he called on them to cast their nets on the other side And uh, they caught a great number of fish and he says to them after that, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. You will catch men. And that was their first calling, 
to be those who uh, were to go out with the Great Commission and to draw people into the kingdom of God. And this uh, miracle was an evocative memory for them. And he's saying, look, this will still be your mission. This will still be your task. You will be those who are to make disciples. Go into all the world and make my disciples, is the Great Commission, to extend the kingdom. And the uh, reminder of the the lack of catch throughout the night was surely a reminder to them, don't do it in your own strength. You must do it my way. Simply do it in obedience to me. Don't have all your own flash ideas about how, how to make people disciples, but simply uh, go out in obedience to my command. However crazy and however strange that seems to be, he is saying to them and he's saying to us, remember, your task. Remember your task is to go out and make disciples. Do it in obedience to my command. Tell them about their need. Tell them about their lostness. Tell them about hell. Tell them about heaven. Tell them about grace. Tell them about the darkness of their own hearts. Do it my way. And you will find in doing that my way, he says, that there is great blessing. Do it in dependence on me. Be prayerful. Be committed and be honest and be simple with the old story of the gospel. And he reminds them with the catch of fish that that indeed is the way of blessing. That's the way of abundance. That's the way of fruitfulness. And yet, it is also not fruitfulness that's just frighteningly unable uh, to deal with by us. The nets don't burst. As the Holy Spirit works, as we extend Christ's kingdom by reaching out with the gospel, when people are saved and the Spirit of God is working and when we are cooperating with the Spirit and depending on the Spirit, then we are able to see that blessing and cope with that blessing in His strength, miraculously by His power. He opens hearts. He is the one who deals with making disciples. We cooperate in that work as disciples ourselves. And that is our role as the church, is to be a church that is fishing for souls, reaching out. Very often we struggle with that, and we struggle in our own strength, and we try and do it our own way. And well, if I'm trendy, and if I try and do things so that I'm just a friend with everybody, and I'm scared to share the gospel of Jesus in the way the Bible says, because people will just reject me. Trust them. He says to trust me in this. You know, don't become aggressive against me. Just throw your net over the other side. I know it sounds crazy, but simply do what I ask. In love and with passion and with a concern for people. Show them the truth and then there will be blessing. And so we have to ask ourselves, and I obviously am asking you this question. Uh, You're a growing and a, a burgeoning church. But we all, both as a church and as individuals, have to ask the question, why so often are there so few people in Britain and in Scotland today becoming Christians? Why are there so few that are accepting this message of Jesus Christ and becoming his disciples? Is it because we're going out with empty nets, doing it in our own strength, with our own determination and with our own wisdom? Are we truly dependent 
on the living God and on the Spirit of God to open people's hearts, doing things His way, even though it seems crazy to do things His way, in prayerful trust and in prayerful obedience. So we recognize that part of, or if the, if the church has two big legs to stand on, one of them is mission, reaching out with the gospel, telling people about uh, Jesus Christ and making disciples. But we see also Jesus as something very important to tell the church about uh, the follow-on from that, which is that we have to be keeping our disciples as well. It's no good to be simply mating disciples and then losing them all over the place. We don't want to be leaking churches. We want to be churches that are growing uh, by keeping those who become Christians among us. And uh, we see that in the dialogue he has with Peter. We're going to look at that again briefly uh, in another way, a different angle. But here we see that uh, the making of disciples leads to the shepherding of disciples. And he says to Peter, you know, if you love me, what are you to do? Feed my lambs. This is your work, Peter, as a disciple. Indeed, it's the work of all the disciples and all the church. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Look after them. Feed them. Protect them and uh, nourish them. And in that dialogue, Jesus is saying that simply we also have this responsibility to be feeding uh, and keeping and nurturing those who are saved. He's saying to love Christ involves loving the church. I'm going to say a bit more about that in a while. But Jesus is saying to Peter, remember Peter, my people are your people. And that is important. He's saying to Peter and he's saying to us, Peter, the church is my bride. I love the church. I've died for the church. And when you come to me, you come to my people. You know, when we get married, we, uh, we, uh, we gain often an extended family. And the mother-in-law, of course, becomes the butt of many jokes. But often mother-in-laws are wonderful people. And we do gain, as it were, another family. But in a much more real way in Christ, we also become part of a family. And we gain the family of Christ. And we don't simply come to Christ. We come to his people. If you love me, he says, then feed my sheep. Remember, the two go together. And he says, your role as a church your role, Peter, as a disciple and all the disciples is to not only make Christians, but to grow Christians, to have growing Christians, to mature them and to uh, make them recognize, as you know, we were speaking about this morning, that the, the Christian body is a place of learning and of love and of belonging, a place of grace, grace worked out. Christ gives us grace when we become Christians. Where do we work that out? Do we work it out with Christ? Do we need patience with Christ? Perseverance with Christ? Do we need to forgive Christ? No. It's easy being one with Christ because he's perfect and he's the son of God. But he says that we are to show the Christian graces with one another by being patient, by being persevering, by being forgiving with one another. And uh, we are to grow and allow the Christian body to grow uh, within the church. So we see here the mission of the church in a very simple way. The mission of the church is a spiritual mission. It isn't a social mission. There's a spiritual mission. 
There is social elements to it, but it's a spiritual mission to make disciples Christ's way. And you know, that's the only way because I can't open Lydia's heart, but only Christ can do that work. So we need him. It must be Christ's way. And also keeping disciples Christ's way. That is by working out grace with one another and in one another's company. And that leads to my second theme from this chapter because Christ speaks here about the mission of the church, but he also speaks very importantly about the condition of discipleship. And in my short experience of uh, being in the pastoral work uh, 14, 13 or 14 years, uh, I've come to a growing realization that the church grows and the body of Christ grows as individual Christians are growing and that the church is healthy as the sum of the individuals within that church is also healthy. And there's this inescapable uh, link between ourselves and the body of Christ and between self-examination and the condition of the church. In other words, what Jesus says is really there's no hiding. We can't hide behind a corporate image or behind a large body ministry because Christ demands our souls and he demands that we recognize our responsibility within the corporate body, within uh, the church of Christ. And there are several aspects, and we'll see how time goes about how many we can look at. But the most important one that we need to recognize in discipleship for us as Christians is private forgiveness. Private forgiveness. There's this immense three verses between 15 and 17 where Jesus eyeballs Peter one-to-one. Nobody else comes into this cameo except Jesus and Peter because Jesus has business to do with Peter because Peter is guilty. And Peter needs forgiveness. And he has, a, he has a weight in his soul. And that needs to be dealt with before he can serve in discipleship. It is really a very big three verses. Probably the biggest in many ways in the whole Bible. Because in order for Peter as a Christian to be useful, he needed to be healed. He needed to face up to a personal guilt against his Savior. A barrier that was there. He had done something very badly wrong. He had denied his Savior. He had denied that he knew him. He blasphemed and swore that he didn't know Jesus. And yet he was in this intimate, close relationship with Jesus. And in order to be healed, or sorry, in order to be uh, useful in the kingdom, to be uh, foundational in the kingdom work, he needed to face up to his past and to his guilt and to Christ, the lover of his soul, and to be healed. And uh, Christ does this in a marvelous way, so psychologically, again, if you, if you want to talk in these terms. He recreates the, 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 uh, the denial uh, of uh, Peter, of his Savior. Just as he recreated the miracle of the fishing to remind the disciples of their task, he also recreates the denial uh, because he, he uh, speaks to Peter in front of a fire. And it's interesting that the only two places in the Bible where a fire is described with this terminology is here and also in the high priest's courtyard. 
a charcoal fire is the word that's used to describe what was going on. And so really, we can see that Jesus is very clearly reenacting the situation and reminding Peter, I'm taking you back, Peter, to where you need to be in order to be healed. And he also questions him in a way that would uh, trigger Peter's own guilt and sense of uh, failure. He says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, some people regard that as a question about the fish. Do you love me more than, not these fish, but do you love me more than fishing and the old world that you've been in? But I don't think it means that. I think it clearly refers to uh, Peter's own bold assertion in front of the other disciples in Matthew 26, where he says, even if all of these fall away on account of, of you, I never will. But he almost sets himself above them and sets himself as being stronger and bolder and more courageous than these, says the other disciples. I think that Jesus is clearly saying, do you love me more than these now, Peter, in light of your betrayal, in light of the fact that you denied me in this way? And of course, the old parallel, which you will all know about the thrice-fold question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Using different words in the Greek, but that's just a, a mark of John's own literary genius. Reminding Peter of the thrice denial, I don't know him. Never heard of him. It's not mine. Don't know him. Three times in the courtyard. Peter would have known exactly that Jesus was looking into his soul and was recalling this event. He knew that Jesus knew. It wasn't somehow uh, Jesus was telling him something fresh. But there was a reminder of uh, these events that Jesus was bringing to the fore. Yet, at the same time, he was healing him. And he was commissioning him. And he was teaching him. And he was forgiving him. And he was setting him up to be a leader among the people and to be healed 